everybody and welcome back to football in a nutshell now this week there was another round of Premier League fixtures as you'd expect uh, we also had the FIFA the best award and uh, we also have the United Arsenal game uh, coming up tomorrow and also the Champions League after that so today I'm just going to be reviewing all of it in the one place uh, ahead of an uh, important week and coming off an important week so um, I think I'm going to start with the um, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to start with the Premier League from this week. Move on to some predictions and previews about Man United Arsenal and some of the key Champions League games. And then finally, I'm going to be giving my picks for the best award. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, it should be around 40 minutes long. I don't know. As, uh, as I'm trying to keep these down to a lower amount of time now. Because I believe the first football in that show was over an hour long. So yeah, this is going to be... Um, and this is hopefully going to be around that amount of time. And without further ado, I'm going to get into the big game of this weekend. Well, in my opinion, the big game of this weekend, which was Everton-Manchester City. Now, the interesting thing I found about this game is the way Everton really went for it. Um, I believe they had well over two expected, a good bit over two expected goals. Uh, City were ahead of them, but also but uh, not too far away. And at home, I think they really gave them a challenge. And uh, yeah, the main thing that struck me about this game was to see the progression under Pep Guardiola for Manchester City. I mean, if you looked in the first season when he went to Goodison Park and got hammered 4-0. And uh, this year, Everton turned up in a similar way again. But uh, they managed to go through and uh, plough through and get to uh, that 3-1 victory. Goals in this game for uh, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez in particular, I thought he had an exceptional game. He's obviously scored that free kick. Won the ball back around eight times, and I thought he was very creative throughout the entire game. Uh, De Bruyne also got two assists. Um, another strong performance from him. He is he's just a magnificent player, it has to be said. And if you think the the fact that last year City got what ninety eight points without him in the team, this year it's just going to be well for me. It's going to be the difference between them and Liverpool. The Liverpool uh, still five points clear, so you never know. And then also for Everton, uh, they went one after they went one and down. They scored with um, originally it was seen to be James Coleman, and it was going in, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin stole the goal like um, any decent person would steal the goal uh, after James Coleman did all the work. But um, for me, it was positive for Everton in this game. Um, I mean, at the start of the season, they haven't been good. I believe they have seven points and are fifteenth in the league. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I think they're around there. And, uh, yeah, I think they've had some good games. But I thought they've also had some very poor results. The 2-0 loss to Sheffield United. And the um, 2-0 loss to Sheffield United and uh, the loss against Aston Villa as well. Also 2-0, I do believe, were the main two. But, yeah, 15th place, uh, 7 points. Lost their last three in the bounce. Only won one game in their last five. Marco Silva, definitely under fire, in my opinion. Uh, he, his days must be numbered at Everton. He has not progressed in the way he should. Uh, you could say that's to the nature of the signs. I definitely would argue that's a bit... They're very top-heavy. I mean, if you look at their options in attack, it's just an absolute arsenal between Richarlison and Wobie, Walcott, Sigurdsson, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Moise Keane. Like, it's such a plethora of options there. And they even sold Luckman in the summer. And then um, you compare that, and then at centre back, who they have? Yerry Mina, Michael Keane, not much else after they couldn't bring back Zumas. And uh, Drissagonagay, they're really suffering without him in midfield. I mean, is it Schneiderlin and um, 
Gomez they're playing at, no, Schneiderman and Delft they're playing at the minute. Just isn't working yet whatsoever. They're not the same defensive cover. And yeah, you're always going to struggle when you lose a player of that calibre at a club like Everton. But um, I think it was positive in this game for them. Coming up in their next game, they have uh, they have Burnley away, which they should be able to beat. Uh, but it's always a hard game going to Turf Moor. And uh, as for Manchester City, they're at home to Wolves, which uh, you never know. If, uh, there could be a game in that, but... Um, I'd say they still should win. Wolves haven't started all that uh, well. Then moving on to the second game, which is going to be the other uh, team in the title race. And it's Liverpool. Very fortunate in this game to win against Sheffield United. Chris Waller spoke a lot about in the future about how um, this was an important game for them to make sure that this becomes a regular fixture and that the players aren't like, uh, what did he say? I'm not sure what the expression is, but like looking for shirts and stuff afterwards. And yeah, Sheffield United proved in this game for me that they should that they are a Premier League level club. Although I do think they still might go down due to the nature of uh, well, I'm not sure. I just have a I've a bit of a feeling that they're going to go down, that their luck will run out eventually because their squad, all in all, is not that strong. But um, yeah, in this game, very good. Dean Henderson, a hard mistake uh, to gift Liverpool the victory, I believe. G- Jorginho Wijnaldum. Got the goal, um, and yeah, it was it was very fortunate for Liverpool in this game. I mean, uh, Matip and Van Dijk both had very strong performances. They're turning into quite the combination. But I think this is another positive game for Sheffield United. Um, again, going to going against the big teams and uh, coming out quite strongly, proving that they can get. I say they aren't going to nick some results against the top six teams this year. Already did it uh, away at Sanford Bridge when they got uh, a well-deserved point after a great second half display. And uh, yeah, as for Liverpool, and the 16 wins in a row now, there's some. Team, they have to. I have to say, they're just some team. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be quite an interesting title race. I don't think we get uh, our first City uh, Liverpool clash for until another few months, anyways. But that should be a very interesting one in a row around. But um, as of right now, Liverpool, next game, arguably the biggest test of the season, when they welcome Leicester to Stamford, not Stamford Bridge, to Anfield, sorry. That should be a very interesting game, because Leicester are on some fine form, and uh, I believe that's who I'm going to talk about next. Leicester won 5-0 today against Newcastle, and uh, a comprehensive performance is the best way. There's clearly a massive gap between those two teams. 5-0, Isaac Hayden's red card obviously helped things. But um, Newcastle just look terrible. There's no other way to uh, say it. I believe they're second last in the league with five points through seven games, and um, they just looked—they look woeful at the start of this campaign for me. Um, I'd be very surprised to stay up. Steve Bruce, I'm not sure what his plan is. But once they got that red card when happened uh, in this game, it was—it was game over. I and mean, they were losing beforehand as well. But yeah, for me, I'm not. I'm not sure where Newcastle's going. The whole, the entire team, it look it looks very weak in attack. I have to say, um, losing those twelve goals to assists, I believe, and goals from Iosi Perez last year, as well as the, that is the eighteen goal contributions, was it around that for uh, Solomon Rondon? Um, it's it's been a disaster for them in the Saracens campaign. They haven't been able to recover. 
Joe Linton scored a goal at the start of the campaign, but is not um, cannot shoulder all that responsibilities. I mean, he's 22 years old, and he has like the whole entire weight of the attack on him and the creativity. There's a clear gap between the midfield and the attack. They're not able to stitch attacks together whatsoever. Yeah, in this game, and defensively incompetent, has to be said. Uh, I mean, there's been a few good defensive displays, sorry. And uh, but other than that, a lot of the time, I just think, I just think uh, that at the back, personnel-wise, they didn't look too bad against uh, when they were with Rafa Benitez, such a good coach defensive-wise. But um, they're getting found out for what they are, those defenders, in my opinion, and. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not working out well for them. Uh, Newcastle. The only positive I have to say about Newcastle is they played so many hard teams at the start of this campaign that eventually they are going to get a run of fixtures that are handy enough. I mean, they're at home to Manchester United next week, and so that's another hard game. But after that, and Chelsea the week after, to be fair. But uh, I think that's all the top six teams done for the first half, and uh, after that, I'd say the fixtures will ease up. They just don't seem to be getting uh, many points. I mean, the only good thing they've done all year was that one, that one move with Joe Linton, which is has saved them from utter disaster at the start when they won against Tottenham. It was one good piece of play in the entire game, that goal, and it was bad defending from Tottenham as well. And that's just saved them from utter, utter, ter- just terrible at the start of the season. But uh, at the start of last year, they were bad as well. So maybe they can come up. But as for Leicester, I, I have a strong feeling that they could get top four this year. They look so good. Brendan Rodgers is a brilliant coach. They seem to every area of the pitch. Like even after Harry Maguire, Sionku and Johnny Evans look like a great pairing. And yeah, every area of the pitch they just look strong, especially in that midfield area. And fullbacks as well as another one, Ricardo Pereira, two goals in his last two games, really coming into his own. And uh, yeah, it's a very strong signs from Leicester. At the start of the campaign. We move on to my club Chelsea. Who won 2-0 at the weekend against Brighton. And it was. I think. I'm going to move on to Spurs after this. But it was a real like. Um, turning point in the in the season for us. Because uh, a lot of the time. At the start of this campaign. Chelsea. It's the performance they have had to. You've had to praise. But in this game. It was your classic Chelsea. What they should be doing against Brighton. A comfortable uh, victory. Better on every area of the pitch. Some negatives you like when you're taking negatives, like um, there's a few negatives to take from the game uh, from a win, which, in my opinion, even though the word you are taking negatives, uh, perhaps Pedro's performance, Ross Barkley was poor again. But um, when you're taking negatives from comprehensive victories, it shows that the, the wheels and everything's really coming together for Frank Lampard at Chelsea at this stage. Uh, 7 1 against Grimsby with. Uh, a B team at best, uh, you could have said at, uh, that Chelsea had against Grimsby and they won 7-1, a League 2 opposition, but just look at Spurs and Colchester, but um, yeah, very good in this game. I was worried I was going to have to eat my words about Brighton uh, from last week's football in a nutshell, but uh, yeah, they were terrible in this game. They haven't won in their last six. Graham Potter, he's just, he's just not a good coach in my opinion, I don't rate him whatsoever. And yeah, things are really starting to um, look poor for Brighton in this game. Didn't create much whatsoever and uh, yeah, very poor performance overall. But um, yeah, good to see that Chelsea in this game 
with uh, Callum Hudson Odoi coming back off the bench, getting the assist, as well as Mason Mount winning the penalty, and some of the more experienced players like Jorginho and Willian. Jorginho really coming into more of a leadership role at this stage, and uh, yeah, Tamori good as well. And uh, yeah, overall, it just seems to come coming together well for Chelsea at this stage. But uh, yeah, moving on to the game of reference just there, and that was the Spurs Southampton game. Spurs won two one against Southampton after their uh, just absolutely disgraceful display against Colchester when they lost on penalties. And uh, yeah, in this game they had to work for it. Ten men for most of the game after that, Aurea red card. Just uh, in my opinion, wasn't a controversial decision. It was just stupidity from him. The first tackle, completely out of control. Only got a yellow for it, and the second one, you when you're on a yellow, you can't be giving that the referee that decision to make. And uh, you could argue that it wasn't, but um, there's no arguing that it was stupidity. Lloris made a mistake in this game. Rare Hugo Lloris makes about five a game. And uh, yeah, another board display for him. But Harry Kane in this game, I thought was very, was just exceptional. He looks like the Harry Kane from a few seasons ago. Uh, he kind of took a bit of a step back last year, but he looks back to his best. He looks back to his best in this game. Overall display very strong. And uh, Tanguy Ndombele, in the, I believe it was his return this week. Um, yeah, and uh, he scored in this game. So good from him. And uh, yeah, as for. Southampton, Danny Ings scored. Uh, I think he will probably end up being first choice ahead of Jay Adams, who didn't score in his first six starts for um, Southampton, which obviously isn't good, and only got the unofficial assist, which you get for uh, winning a penalty against Bournemouth. So um, that should be interesting. Old Femi came off the bench, so it's good for an Irish perspective to get a game minute in an important game like this. But uh, Spurs, I think, deserve the winners in this game. And uh, the next games, the rest of the games, will just fly by really quickly. Aston Villa and Burnley drew. Aston Villa still in the relegation zone. Conor Harahan actually returned to the team, which is good news for our Ireland fans. And uh, yeah, I thought they looked a better outfit. Aston Villa in this game with him in the team, uh, I thought. And uh, Jack Grealish a bit further forward. I thought it was quite good from them. And, uh, good, and uh, John McGinn as well. It's another one I want to talk about. He was... He's John McGinn is turning into some player. I think if Aston Villa do go down, which I'm fairly certain they will do at the end of this campaign, I think John McGinn will have a lot of suitors in the Premier League. Even going up to the top clubs, especially, I think Man United will be very interested. Alex Ferguson talked about him before. And as for Burnley, an okay display. But the only thing I could say interesting about this game was the fact that there was uh, eight different... um, Eight different uh, goals slash assist players. Uh, a different person got the goal, or this every player that play, every in the eight uh, goal in the four goals, should I say? And the eight people who had goal contributions were all different. So uh, the one interesting thing I can take from that game. But uh, moving on to Bournemouth West Ham, two two. I thought it was a pretty good game for me. Honest, Creswell scored again, making a real headache. I think um, for Pellegrini. Whether him or Masuaku when Masuaku returns. Yarmolenko scored again. I think he's turning into some player. And uh, Haller assisted for West Ham. So good for them. Uh, as for Bournemouth, Callum Wilson scored. Uh, him and King are very good uh, partnership. But the main thing I want to talk about in this game is the, um, is the way that King, when he scored his goal, he didn't really celebrate because he knew there was going to be a VAR check. And that is becoming a concern for me, that um, what everyone's saying about the celebrations, 
it really is coming into practice now and I don't think it's a good thing for football whatsoever. Uh, on to the next game, Crystal Palace beat Norwich 2-0. I have to say with Roy Hudson, he is putting together some act um, with the with his very limited tools that he has at his disposal. He's turning them into quite a good side. I'm not sure exactly sure where they are in the league. But, oh, it's ninth, 11 points, which is the same as the fifth place team. So very broad there. And um, yeah, they haven't looked good in a lot of the games at the start of the season, but he's still getting the results out of them. This is a very good uh, result. And Norwich, uh, as for Norwich, slight decline, you'd have to say, back-to-back 2-0 losses since that uh, famous victory against Manchester City. But uh, I don't think Daniel Farr will be too worried at the start and now. But um, uh, maybe the, you will see a, a bit of a panic if the decline continues because uh, for all their great results, I mean, they're only they're just outside the relegation zone in 17th, so... Yeah, there are issues for the Canaries, but um, nothing too major at this stage. And uh, yeah, uh, next game, Wolves finally, this is actually the last game now I'm thinking of it, Wolves finally got their campaign off with their first win in their seventh game. And coincidentally enough, came with Matt Doherty's return to the team. He scored in this game, uh, such a strong player, and no idea why he was on the bench in favour of a makeshift right wing back in. Um, at Adama Traore, but uh, his return got a goal. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, a uh, goal from uh, Jan Man as well. And uh, yeah, Wolves back to the best. And as for Watford, I mean, they have to go down this year. They, there's just nothing else. They haven't won in the first seven games, and you thought they'd get the new manager boost. It just hasn't happened whatsoever for them. And uh, they lie bottom in the Premier League. And uh, but you have to say, still only four points from safety at the start, uh, despite the disaster start. So there's potentially hope, and they do have some good players. But uh, yeah, you would have thought that they'll be going down the season. But uh, anyways, I'm gonna move on. Oh, that actually took longer than I thought uh, to get through all the games this week. But I'm gonna move on to the predictions uh, as of right now. And uh, firstly, I'm gonna talk about Manchester United against Arsenal. This one is at Old Trafford, and it's. Probably when this comes out, it'll probably be either tomorrow night or uh, the night you're watching around recording on a Sunday, and it could come out on the Monday. But uh, yeah, for me, this is a vital game, in my opinion, uh, for both sides. Uh, United really need to start getting their their campaign up and running, in my opinion. Uh, I think they have been they've been a bit unlucky at the start of the campaign. But eight points after six games, uh, not disastrous, but uh, not the best either. After that positive four 0 win at the start of the campaign, but um, yeah, Manchester United are Manchester United are incre- uh, an incredibly uh, unfortunate position. Needed penalties against Rochdale, but uh, yeah, I'd say hard to see that the win will come in this game for me. Uh, Arsenal, they've been a bit hot and cold at the start of the campaign. But uh, yeah, they have so many options options in attack, and um, and uh, also, I mean, the battle in my opinion will be won in midfield in this game. United, I talked to death about how weak I feel their midfield is, but the Emery still doesn't seem to have all the pieces together in uh, doesn't have all the pieces stitched together in um, in the midfield for him either. And they have more options there. Gendouzi has a great start of the season. Tobias Torreira, but Jack has now been handed the captaincy, 
which I think is an odd choice because personally for me, if you're looking at Arsenal's strongest midfield, he doesn't have Jack, it's Gunduzi, Torreira and Chabayos. But now he has to play and he has so many deficiencies in the game and Torreira will have to cover for him and it's a, it's a bit interesting there. Nicolas Pepe still hasn't got off the mark either. Well, he has technically got the penalty, but goal and assist so far, one the goal being a penalty, I'm not sure I'd be too impressed by him in the starting campaign. Uh, but Aubameyang is always good. I think he scored in every game this season so far. Or at least he had a goal contribution in every game this season so far. Ah, yeah, it's a, I think he only got an assist against... Uh, <coughs> only got assist against Liverpool. And um, this game, I think, will be very interesting. Uh, I'd probably put Arsenal in as slight favourites. Uh, but uh, not at home. That should be interesting. Uh I think it'll be an interesting game for the neutrals. I think there'll be goals in this one. And I think overall I'm going to go with a 2-2. A strong game. It doesn't really do any, either side many favours. But uh, I don't think either side will be complaining too much either. With, start, uh, with this result. Because uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's struggling a bit at the minute. But... Um, yeah, and a draw in this game, considering they have so many players out injured, I think he won't be uh, too disheartened by it. Though Arsenal, I suppose you might see, because Man United are a bit vulnerable with the injuries at the minute. But uh, overall, I think it's going to be there's goals in this game for me, and I'm going to say two two. But uh, moving on to the Champions League predictions for this week, uh, Champions League returns, and. Uh, yeah, it's um, an interesting enough week, in my opinion, for uh, these games. I'm just going to go with the key games. I'm not going to go into uh, anything about the le- less important games. Uh, the, but the um, uh, uh, first game that I'm going to talk about is going to be Real Madrid and Club Bruges. I'll keep it pretty brief again with these. Uh, Real Madrid, disaster start for the campaign, which is the only reason I'm talking about this Club Bruges game. Because they lost 3-0... Um, yeah, in a bit of uh, bit of turmoil, turmoil in the moment, uh, Real Madrid. But Club Rouge at home, you'd have to say you'd uh, you'd pivot them for this um, because for me, Club Rouge, like the, they're not even one. Of the, uh, they are one. They're a stronger team in Belgium, but uh, just the just the difference in the squads and the difference in everything. There is a clear um, there's a clear ga- class gap in this one. And therefore, I think I have to go with Real Madrid. And uh, I scored 3-1 is what I'm going to predict. A uh, home win for Real Madrid. And get their Champions League season up and running. Uh, the next one for me, uh, I, I would do Galatasaray PSG. But I think PSG will have enough, even though it is Galatasaray. Uh, Juventus, Bayer Leverkusen. Now, Juventus, I believe they got a draw in Spain against Atletico Madrid. Uh, which is a good opening result uh, for them. And Bayer Leverkusen are going to be the ones to challenge either Atletico Madrid or Juventus to get out of that uh, group. Bayer Leverkusen, uh, have, I'm not sure how great the season, I, I just don't know how great the season uh, has started for them. I believe they got a win in their uh, opening game against, um, oh, who are they playing in their opening game against in the Champions League, but I think, I'm fairly certain that they won. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one for me because I think Juventus haven't started the season all that great. But at home, I think they'll have the edge and will run out 2-1 victories, victors for me in this game. 
Uh, last one, last Tuesday night game that I'm going to talk about. It's not going to be City, Dino, Zagreb, even though uh, that's probably going to be the game that's on. As they always seem to have the English teams on, even when the games are done. Oh, Lokomotiv Moscow, actually. To go back to it, Lokomotiv Moscow, I think it's the team that Bayer Leverkusen beat in the first game. But I could be wrong about that. But, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, City will have any problem in dispatching Dinamo Zagreb at home. The only reason I want to talk about that is I'm just uh, trying to think how big the margin of victory is going to be for City in this game. Because, like, um, at home, you saw what they did to Schalke last uh, campaign and Schalke were in the knockout rounds. But, um, yeah, I think that's gonna, that'll be a... I think that could be a hammering, potential hammering. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with... Um, the game, last game is going to be Tottenham Hotspur and Bayern Munich. Tottenham Hotspur at home in the new, brand new stadium. And uh, in this game, one of their first... Uh, well, were, in the, were they in the new stadium at the end of last year? They might have been, to be fair. But um, yeah, they're in this. They're in the, against Bayern Munich, having only drawn to Olympiacos. So they are in a bit of... They're in a bit of bother, it has to be said, uh, Tottenham going into this game. Against Bayern Munich, I said at the start, Bayern Munich would win this group, I think it is uh, in the Champions League predictions. And um, yeah, I think away at home, I think um, if you look at last season, Tottenham started the group very slow as well. And I think history could repeat itself potentially with Bayern Munich making them winless in their opening two. So yeah, I'm going to predict Bayern Munich to win this game. I don't think it'll be easy for them, but I think they'll run out 2-1 victors in the same scoreline as Juventus by Leverkusen. But now, moving on to the second night, which is the Wednesday of uh, action, and the first uh, big game there is going to be Barcelona-Inter Milan. Now, Inter Milan obviously only drew with Slavia Prague in their opening game, I believe it was at the San Siro as well, which is the game every team in that group, as it is probably one of the most competitive groups with Dortmund-Barcelona. And then uh, they only drew in that game at, at home against Slavia Prague, which is a big problem for them. And Barcelona also were unconvincing at best uh, when they only managed to hold um, Borussia Dortmund. So both of these in a bit of trouble, I'd say, at uh, this stage against against um, is this game. Uh, but Barcelona are at home in this game. And while Barcelona have not started the season great by any stretch, and Inter Milan have they they have to go in as favourites. However, I think there could be a kind of an upset on the cards. Uh, I'm going to predict a draw for this game. I think, um, yeah, I just think I have always have a soft spot for Inter Milan, and also in particular Conte because he did manage uh, Chelsea. And uh, yeah, I can see potentially Lukaku scoring in this game and. Uh, Barcelona Inter Milan being a one-all draw, uh, yeah, and, and I think that would uh, tee up the group quite nicely with Dortmund that two points ahead and all to play for when you think about it, uh, provided Dortmund do beat uh, Slavia Prague, which I expect them to. I didn't even, I just skipped over that game. But uh, yeah, moving on to my club Chelsea, they're away to Lille after that disastrous loss against Valencia, despite being on top for the entire ninety minutes. Uh, if ever there was a time to get at Valencia, it was that game, and uh, we didn't manage it. But uh, now coming to Lille, a difficult enough fixture, I'd say. Not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, coming off uh, a win at the weekend, and two well back-to-back wins last week, it should be interesting. Uh, we have a bit of a break between the Saturday and the Wednesday. 
leave us Saturday to Tuesday against the Valencia game, which is always a bit awkward. But uh, with the break, I, I have to predict the win. Although I am worried about this game. I might actually say draw. Because uh, while I do think it's coming together a bit, but uh, yeah, I never like to be optimistic when it comes to Chelsea. Because that's I know because uh, whenever I seem to get on the hype train whatsoever, we end up getting hammered or uh, just <laughs> just get crashed back down to earth with a terrible performance. So yeah, in this game, I'm gonna predict a uh, one a two all draw. I'd say. Do I do I predict Chelsea to win just for the sake of it? Uh, why not? 2-1 Chelsea, although it's a reluctant enough prediction if I'm being honest. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to stick to 2-2. It's just, um, yeah, I'm worried about this fixture if I'm being honest. As there is so much pressure on it. Whereas in the league, when or against Grimsby, when we're, when we're putting in better performances, there's a lot less pressure on us. But uh, so with such a long squad, I think we may kind of fold on the pressure a bit and get to only get a draw in this game. But, uh uh, next game, and uh, uh, two more games I have uh, here, which are first one being Orbi Leipzig are playing uh, Leon. Uh, Orbi Leipzig at home. I'll just skim by this quite quickly, and I think Orbi Leipzig are going to win with Hassan Total. They look a they look a great outfit, and I'm going to say four two in this one. Lots of goals, actually three one instead. Uh, Leipzig to win that one three one, and the last game I'm going to talk about. Is Valencia versus Ajax. Uh, the other one in that uh, group H, which is one of the more competitive groups, you'd have to say. So, uh, but yeah, for me, Valencia coming, both teams coming off wins. Valencia at home, and uh, yeah, Ajax. Not sure about Ajax coming into the season. A lot of people are saying they'll still win the group, but uh, they lost a lot of, they lost their best two players, and uh, an extra year in Dusan Tadic and whoever else. Um, it could cost them, but uh, yeah, I think I can see either a draw or Valencia win this game. I think I might say a Valencia win because they did. Uh, actually, I, I can't. In in all honesty, I can't call it one all. Ajax Valencia for the last game. But now I'm going on to my football in a nutshell. The best awards. Uh, a lot of controversy surrounding the best awards. Um, this year and uh, yeah, I uh, I'd like to have my say, so to say, and uh, do my version of the award ceremony. As I did do an award ceremony in the last football nutshell, and uh, yeah, I was considering doing a separate podcast for this, and uh, actually I might still uh, do I do a separate podcast for this entirely because there's a lot to get through. Yeah, I've come to a conclusion now that um, given the fact that there is so much to get through and I would also like to do a bit more uh, research that the best awards, my best awards and also my reaction to the best awards is going to be a separate podcast coming out later in this week. And instead I'm going to do another non-football related, continue the section uh, going. And uh, yeah, this in this one um, my it's going to be my top 10 favourite sports or to watch and to play. It's going to be a mixture, but you'll see it throughout. And the, one of the main reasons for this is going to be, since this is the football nutshell and the the non-football related topic is going to be continued throughout, it, this will be more of an indication to what sports you're likely to see coming up in the section from uh, now on. And uh, yeah, I think as this is our podcast, it's important to do it nice and early. So uh, for no particular reason other than that's the way I think. Uh, but uh, anyways, 
Moving on, going in at number 10 for me. Uh, I mean, it's hard to find 10 sports that you're really interested in. Um, perhaps I'd, in for this one, I'd say I'd say swimming in general because um, when it comes to swimming, I don't have much. I do go swimming pretty much every week, but uh, in terms of watching swimming, I never watch swimming. It's uh, really boring. But water polo and all that different stuff does come into it a bit for me. So um, yeah, I'd say swimming will come in at number ten because it is enjoyable to uh, go swimming and. Uh, also, the water polo or stuff like that, it can be quite entertaining as well. So, I'll put it as number 10. Although, it is it is uh, important to note that swimming is probably not going to be featuring much on the, much on the podcast uh, from now on. But, um, yeah, moving into number 9. And this is a, it's a sport that I, I've always been mixed about. Because uh, since Usain Bolt has retired and a lot of that other stuff... Uh, I think I've grown, kind of grown away from athletics, but athletics between sprinting, long jump, there's a lot of stuff in there that it can be entertaining, but it has to be mixed with the stuff that is thoroughly underwhelming. So, uh, but uh, athletics, I do like. I only ever really watch it around the World Championships time and the Olympics. Um, when it's on, it's fine to watch. Around the Olympics, maybe I'll talk a bit more about that. And Ireland, a few Irish athletes and whatnot. You may never know. You may see that. But overall, athletics has been one, always one that I've been bittersweet about. And uh, yeah, it still comes in the, into the top ten, but uh, only in at number nine. But in number eight, it's a sport that I'd say I watch around as much as athletics. But when I do watch it, it is so entertaining. And it's NFL. Um, in terms of NFL. Like, uh, which it's just such an entertaining sport to watch. It's not my favorite American sport, but um, yeah, it's undeniably it's just so like commercialized uh, between the Super Bowl and all the advertisements and all that. The names of the teams, and uh, yeah, I really do like to watch it. If you're wondering who my favorite team is, it's the New York Giants, as I do have relatives in uh, New Jersey, New York. And, uh, yeah, so I'm always going to be sporting a New York team because that's when I go to America, that's where I go. That's the Giants uh, for me. Um, not a very good team. And maybe if I did support one of the better teams, I would be more engrossed. But when I watch uh, NFL, I always do find it quite entertaining to watch. And, uh, yeah, it comes in at number eight. And number seven, though, uh, we have a sport that... Uh, I've mixed enough emotions about it, but... Um, when, play, when played right with people around your like level, I suppose you could say, it is quite entertaining. It is uh, basketball. I mean, basketball, I never really had much interest in it. I have kind of gained an interest recently enough. I watch the odd game, the, the Celtics between the Celtics, whatever. I don't really have a basketball team, if I'm being honest, but this is more the, the playing aspect, although I might get further roast into it later on. And this is one that, like NFL, I suppose I forgot to mention it, but you could potentially see this like later on, uh, around around the time of like the main games that could actually feature on the podcast. Uh, NFL definitely around Super Bowl time. I may do something like that in the non-football related section. And uh, yeah, coming in at number six, which is my favorite American sport, and it's baseball uh, by far and away. I mean, there's a big jump between seven and six if I'm being honest. Uh, baseball, I, I do love to watch baseball. I've been at a baseball game. 
first ever game where one team scored three grand slams, which uh, apparently was a very big deal. I didn't know much about it at the time, but it was uh, it's very good. I'm a Yankees fan in this, uh, and um, yeah, I do follow quite I do follow quite a lot. Uh, usually, most uh, most days I check on how the Yankees did, and if you don't know, baseball is on pretty much uh, games are on pretty much every day for like three hours. And sometimes there could be multiple games. So uh, baseball is a very—it's a very constant sport. So it's nice to follow, have something to follow every day. Whereas with football and whatever, you have a few days break. But uh, yeah, I really do like baseball. And uh, when I go to America, I'm going later on this year. Uh, the World Series will be on, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Hopefully, the Yankees will be in it, as they had a very good season. But I'd say probably the Astros and the Dodgers. But that's for another time. Maybe on another foot non-football related. Actually, now that I think of it, uh, next week we could see the uh, my uh, baseball predictions for the rest of the year as uh, it's gone into it's in the playoffs time now. Also, could have been a good one to do for now, but uh, yeah, I'd say next week that'll be my non-football related topic. And uh, yeah, as for the number five spot uh, for me, this is getting into the sports that, but from baseball, this is in the sports that I really do follow and I do like. And um, number five, it is the uh, Harland. Um, we're with Harland, it's obviously from from Ireland, so uh, it's on all, it's on all pretty much all the time during the summer. Championship has been a lot better in the Harland over the last few years than the football, so I have got more into it that way. And uh, yeah, as I spoke as I spoke about uh, previously, Westmead and uh, Donegal are my two counties. Uh, as I'm half and half, but I went into that in detail the last time. But uh, yeah, neither of them, Westmead obviously a bit better at Harlan, neither of them uh, too well, which is probably maybe why I'm not into it. I don't play it at all, but uh, it is such an end-to-end and enjoyable sport to watch. And uh, yeah, I do like Harlan, I have to say. And uh, yeah, for the entertainment factor of it, it does get into the, uh, it does get into top five. But coming in number four, uh, potentially had things gone differently. Well, actually, it was always going to be number four. It's uh, rugby. Obviously, I'm Irish, so I'm, uh, as I spoke about, and, like I don't know how many times I mentioned that now, but uh, yeah, uh, Ireland lost to Japan at the weekend, so it's always a bit annoying to put, uh, be talking about rugby at the minute. It was a terrible game, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't want to get into the analysis of the game. Rugby, I do love to um, watch. I have played in the past once or twice, well, not too that often, but uh, a bit around the back garden and whatnot. But it is it is a very good sport to watch, especially as Ireland to do. Well, I was going to say they do well in the international stage, but um, not so much anymore. But uh, yeah, um, it's good. It's good to follow, and uh, overall, I do I do very much like rugby. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't really want to get. If you're wondering what uh, club team I support, it's Leinster. Although I don't follow it as much as the international one. But moving into the top three, these are the three sports I'm most most passionate about. I play all these three sports on a regular basis, and uh, I do follow them as well. But uh, coming to number three is Gaelic. I mean, this this top three is pretty. Two and three are pretty interchangeable for me. I do like them both uh, a lot, but um, yeah, for me, Gaelic, had it on the podcast last week, and uh, yeah, I play Gaelic pretty much all my life, Westmead and Donegal, as I spoke about, 
follow, well, I follow probably Donegal more as that's where my family's from, so they take me into the games. And uh, yeah, it's just such a good game to watch. The championship has been a little bit worse the last few years, which is probably why it's gone down from as high as number one a few years ago. But uh, yeah, I still do like Gaelic and I always will like Gaelic. And uh, yeah, it comes in number three. And uh, as it featured last week, it will be featuring more regularly on the podcast. But um, yeah, anyways, moving on to number two. And the only reason this is number two is it is my favourite sport to play and it's golf. yeah, I just I just love going out for a round of golf. I'm being honest. The, as for the golf itself on the TV, the Masters and what, and the PGA Tour and whatnot, I do follow it loosely, and uh, like just a more a bit more than the way I follow um, baseball. And um, around the way I follow baseball, actually, I'd say. And um, but uh, in terms of the play, I just love to play it. Um, it's just a nice, relaxing sport. It's great when it's going well. Obviously, it can be a bit annoying, but. Uh, I really, I just really do like, uh, I just really do like going out for a round of golf, and as it is so high on the playing aspect, it's why it gets into number two. Uh, whereas on to surely like what, uh, surely watching, obviously Gaelic would be number two for me. But uh, yeah, going on to number one, and uh, this is not one you speaking in the non-football rate because obviously it was going to be football. By far my favorite sport, always has been, probably always will be. Well, well, not always has been, as I spoke about earlier, a bit of Gaelic, but I say, yeah, I just, the reason I started this podcast is because of how much I love football, so it's not surprising that it comes in at number one, but uh, anyways, I hope that gives an insight into the future of football in a nutshell and uh, what you can expect for that. Hope you enjoyed the podcast as a whole between the roundup, which I've done the last two weeks now, and the predictions and uh, this bit. As I said, the best awards are going to be coming on later down the week. And yeah, this week, next week, uh, I'll be doing the uh, football in the as well. I think Monday slash Sunday is quite a good day for it, as it is before the Champions League and after the football like that. So um, yeah, thank you very much for listening and uh, goodbye.